The bevy. I had met this lassie. She liked the bevy. I like a drink myself. But this lassie liked the bevy. Normally I can keep it in check. Play football in that. Go on benders. But go a week or two with it. Regain the healthy glow. But I had met this lassie. And I got a red rash beneath my eyes. For the bevy. Drinking too much yet. But I was enjoying myself. Because we would have these brilliant arguments. Probing each other's psyche. Searching for soft spots. Seeing what damage we could do. But holding back. Being clever. Never punching the core. Because that way. We could cover the soft spots with affection. That made us feel like we needed each other. That made us feel like. We could destroy each other. Because falling in love with this lassie. Was like turning your chest to the universe. And screaming hit me. But it didn't last. Because time passed. And we realised. We couldn't hurt each other. So I'm back playing football on that. Gone on benders like. But keeping it in check. And that's the way you start a podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to Scots Way Hay. That was um, William Lightford reading The Baby. Which somehow seems very apt for this podcast. But uh, more on that later. And uh, William, how you doing? I'm doing well, Alistair. Doing um, well. Good, thanks for coming along doing this. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, we're also joined by Chris Ward. Chris, how you doing? I'm alright. We're all getting our Sunday name. Should I be Christopher? Christopher <laughs> Ward. <laughs> <laughs> you know, exactly. Yes, yeah, so it is a bit like that. Yeah. Um, and we'll be talking to Chris later on about uh, his experiences with poetry, put it that way. Uh, but, Bill, so let's start talking about how you got into this poetry lark, basically. Um, right, my dad wanted me to be a golfer mm-hmm. when I was young, and he was right in it. He would have me out the back practicing for an hour every day. Clubs cut down to my size. He would take me to the course, make me swing, and all these people would watch me swing. So he had these <laughs> ideas for me, and he would also give me the rules of golf to read at night. Right. And I remember I would pretend that I was reading it and fall asleep with it on my chest. But for some other reason, I had this book of Lewis. Carol works at the Alice Wonderland and different sure. poems and stuff and I think as opposed to reading the rules of golf the Alice Wonderland Lewis Carroll book seemed really good to me mm-hmm. so I started reading it and I just remember reading it memorising poems and stuff and a primary school teacher, teacher asked the class to write a poem one time for homework mm-hmm. and I hadn't done it so I woke up in the morning when I turned on the TV it was the King's Cross Station disaster that was on the telly so I jotted down a poem quickly but I put it in stanzas because I've been reading these poems and when I took it to the teacher she liked it so much she sent it to Roger McGuff and he sent me a wee letter back saying uh, in capital letters at the bottom it said keep writing that exclamation mark so I think you can never put it down to one thing No. but getting that letter must have planted at least something in my head to, to break down that wee barrier that you've got between you know, how poetry can seem a bit it's got a yeah. bit an elitist persona but it, so maybe that just helped to break down the barrier and I don't know what happened to anyone but I didn't keep writing poetry Right. No, so I didn't actually go to it until I was 23 but with the first creative writing class when I went to when I was 23 they asked us to concentrate on a candle flame right. and write something about it and then when I wrote something it was a poem so I don't know something was in my head anyway uh, What made you go to the creative writing class then? I mean there was, was it something that you felt you had to by this time I would take it you thought you were not going to be a golfer at a dog 
No, no, I'd made that decision. I made that almighty decision when I was six. Right, okay. <laughs> Although not, oh, be- not before I had bogeyed a hole on Stirling Golf Course when I was five years old. Now come on. Yeah. I, actually had, I actually had a putt for par. And I remember my dad said to me, if you get this son, I'm going to give you a fiver. <laughs> <laughs> I think that shows you why you haven't done it. I'll yeah. put it on there see if it's that yeah. easy to lose at this point. I missed, I missed the putt as well and I go, hee haw. So I uh, the creative like writing went. I mean, what does you, you uh, decide to do that? I, can, I remember going through college and stuff. And college wasn't working out. I was doing marketing, and uh, then I thought I might be a writer. I want to be a writer. Then I went to twenty three. I lost my job and asked myself, what do I really want to do? Mm-hmm. What do I want to do all my time? I made the decision then. So then I started to make me steps towards it. Got a creative writing class, etc., etc. Yeah. I think it's interesting going back to you know reading Alice in Wonderland and the kind of nonsense poetry that's in there. It's one of my earliest memories of that as well. But how even if you, you put stuff aside for a while, it does stay with you. And when you you go and do something like you look back and you say, yeah, I think there's something in there, something in that little spark. And having someone, I mean, did you know who Roger McGough was when you were? Uh, you know, I had no idea. Uh, even just someone going, yeah, keep at it. Mm-hmm. Is uh, sometimes all people need, and it happens far too rarely, I think. Um, so the, and was it immediately poetry when you were doing the creative writing were you thinking that's my that's the way I want to express myself or were you doing short stories or I was doing short stories as well I still do short stories actually uh-huh. but um, I think by the time I got to, went to do the masters I was constantly writing short stories when I went to do the masters at Glasgow but then something happened during the course it's probably because I was forced myself to write short stories that I wanted to do yeah actually do you know yeah, I just wanted yeah, to say yeah. knowing you're focused on one thing and doing other things like taking time off or it's like cheating and so I was cheating by writing poetry and then the poetry just started to keep coming for them all. oh that's interesting so it was like uh, short stories were hard work or uh, well, you liked the brevity of the language in the poetry or? You, you can what you can imagine is that I was saying right I'm going to write a book of short stories I'm going to concentrate on a book of short stories for the final portfolio of this masters mm. oh yeah, of course I forgot you do know those things like that right, yeah, aye, yeah. Aye. so then I was like I need to write these short stories I need to write these short stories <laughs> maybe I'll just write a poem maybe I'll just write a poem and then it started to, everything started to come out as poetry so it didn't matter what I was writing if I was trying to write if I was trying to write an opus it would come yeah. doing three lines everything just started coming out in that and then just started to chop all the words off and uh, that's a really interesting idea that you start with something that's quite big and edit it down as you go along because I know people that write fiction and often you know one of the things that they, they I'm sure they did it the, on the masters as well as you know short sentences that Hemingway thing of you know keep it really short mm-hmm. as you like and uh, it's something I know Alistair Gray does for instance he tries to get it down as much as possible I love the idea of taking something big and breaking it down mm-hmm. line by line thinking you know did you feel when you were doing that you were getting to some kind of essence of what you wanted to say? Aye, that's yeah. exactly right. So when you, it's just like every word, every word that I, I would chop off words feeling like the one I needed, and then I was able to chop off meanings to say I don't, I don't need to say that. What I need to say is this and this and this. And it just comes out the one thing, and it's a nice. I, I, it's the way I write actually. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I don't like it because I want to expand it a bit more and get my my prose a bit more purple. Yeah. That means I'd write the way I write. And yeah, that's it. I think that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you were saying about the idea of, of uh, writing poetry and the way that's still uh, kind of looked upon as, as something that's uh, no for the likes of us, as folk would say. Uh, how did you how did you kind of get over that prejudice when you were talking to your your pals or whatever, or, or you know even the family and saying, yeah, here's a poet poem that I've just written. I think I just incessantly 
battered them with it yeah. until they believed me and saved my pals. I was like, well before, even at the beginning I was writing that, I was so excited by what I was doing, I would memorise the things I was doing and then go and just chew my pals ears at parents, uh, you know, till they were sick of it. So it wasn't like, it was never like some kind of secret thing that you did? Saying, uh, yeah, I'm on my way out uh, for a round of golf and actually you were sitting. No, yeah. no, no, no at all. That's good. No, I, 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 one of the best, one of the best things that ever happened to me is that I came out of a night out, I think it was at the Axis or something, and I came out and I had no money. And I was with my pal and we were walking home and I went up to a Maggie's burger van mm-hmm. and said, yeah. if, I, if, I, if I give you a poem, will you give me a, a burger? And she said, no. Nah. So, <laughs> so I told her Hey Maggie her, If you're listening You're <laughs> kicking yourself No no wait, I'm not finished <laughs> Alright okay I told her a poem anyway Right And then before they even finished it She was making the burger That's what I mean So that was me That was me and my crust Right there and then Yeah, yeah. Fantastic Which burger man was that Is that the one that the uh, uh, mm, yeah, no, 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 they burgers didn't come cheap. <laughs> no, I'm just no, saying, no. I, I, I've, got, I've got a drawer full of crap that I can try. Might not get a burger out of it, but you know, out of date Curly Whirly, that would do me. Um, so out of date Curly Whirly, not like your wrestling name. <laughs> so, exactly. Right, so, how did you go f- to perform? How did it go then? And you were writing it, and then did you start going to nights and performing it? or? Because your, your style, you know, you've, you've read a poem at the beginning there for us and, you know, there's no, you're not reading from anything, it's all in your head and I've, you know, seen you read many times and that's what you do, so there must have always been an idea that this is going to be performed. I wasn't consciously doing it at all, it just progressed for like, tell my pals the poems or the wee snippets of stories at Peter's to, I mean, I was... I went over to teach English in summer camps in Italy and we'd be around campfires and I had the poems in my head and I'd be telling them then this mm-hmm. is well before then in published or anything like that so I, I wasn't making a conscious decision I was just, just like naturally fell into it so by the time I went to do a professional writing course at uh, Glasgow Nautical College Linda Jackson was taking it right. and she would do these nights at Street Level Art Gallery where she would put mm-hmm. the students on with established writers and it came my turn to, to do it and I had a short story but I'd already memorised the short story I'd already been doing it at parties anyway so rather than use the paper, I had it memorised anyway, I just did it for memory. I just kept going on from yeah. then on. I'd like, I never I never constantly made the decision, okay, I'm going to memorise all my stuff and I'm going to do yeah. it this way. I was doing it anyway and ah. I just fell into that. That's interesting. It's almost like, uh, ah, you, you would go somewhere and you say, well, um, I've got to have something I, I can do or they're not going to let me stay at the party. So instead of having a song, you had your, your poetry. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah. And so when did you start actually performing it outside of families and parties and stuff like that weren't you yeah I think that first proper reading was at the Nautical College right Linda Jackson and then I started to come at nights um, I think there was a couple in, in Chayovna they had, they had they did yeah, night yeah nights they did doing the south side and so I went down there and I had a couple of readings there and then I was constantly attending the Stirling Writers Group mm-hmm. and a guy called Chris Pawicci who was taking the Stirling Writers Group at the time Said, I think you you could do a treat at a, a spoken word night called Discombobulate. Yeah. With Maggie Gibson and Ian McPherson. So that is it. Is it running anymore? I think they still maybe do one-off events every now and again, but it's no running on a constant yeah. basis. Um, and it was like that was spoken word and comedy kind of mixed together. Yeah. Uh, and that's I got regular slots in that, and that's when I started to do it in front of a, bit, a bigger audience. So um, I suppose the next step from that is last year. Was it last year when Bevel came out? Aye. Uh, which was your first uh, collection on Carcanet. Um, I'm 
I would have to agree with that, you know. It's a terrific collection, by the way. It's a really great collection of poetry. But and, you know, how did that feel to go from, you know, as you say, reading them out to actually having them on page? Or were you always confident that this was going to be something you would do? Uh, I was... On the main, I was confident that right. I would get a book out. On the main, but I would have moments where I thought, I'm just, I'm deluding myself here. I'm a total nutcase. What am I doing? <laughs> um, but I think in order to keep, you've got to fill yourself in and keep them going because mm-hmm. you get up really oh, easily, right. you know. So I was, I was quite confident I would get it done, but so chuffed when it happened. Like, I'm I'm re- unbelievably happy. Yeah, I bet. Aye. I, I, like, I felt a bit like, uh, once the book came out, I realised how lucky I was. Yeah. Do you know, all the moments where I could have just stopped, where I could have said, ah, this is never going to work out, mm-hmm. man, what am I doing? And all the times, it was like a gift to myself for the past, the fact yeah. that I kept going and kept going and kept going. Because the reason I'm asking that is because collections of poetry by uh, new poets is actually quite a rare thing. I mean, not many people um, who don't have the established name yet manage to get them published. I know. Maybe you don't realise that until you do it and you look around and you see, well, you know, oh, crikey, there's not many other folk. Aye. I, I, a lot of it is, it's hard work as well, you've got to be persistent, oh. but a lot, oh, of, yeah. a lot of it is, a lot of it can, it's just a fortune, you know, and you're lucky. And there's a lot of people that help me along the way as well. No, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I think mean, you definitely need that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, since Bevel's been, been published, I mean, is that kind of, changed perception of you or uh, and, and what kind of things have you been offered and, and done since since that? Uh, since Bevel got published I've been doing loads of readings yeah. around the country. Uh, in January this year I went to Iraq. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Aye, aye. <laughs> um, that was amazing. That was brilliant. How did that happen then? Well, you didn't just say, I know where I'm going. Yeah, I know I'm going to book a flight. I am going to book a flight and turn up at a period. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a wee, a wee party piece for you. Mm-hmm. No, there's a, there's, a, there's a company called Real Festivals who work in the Middle East. So far, they've done loads of festivals in the Middle East and they mm-hmm. just want to change. I think there's a, there's a certain perception in the Middle Eastern countries that's filtered through the media and they mm-hmm. want to change that through small projects. So they go to Middle Eastern countries that have been in Lebanon, and Afghanistan and Iraq and they have collaborations so they take filmmakers from Britain poets and musicians get them to work together and then do events in the Middle Eastern country and then bring the Middle Eastern poets, musicians, filmmakers back to Britain to have events as well it's just so that people can meet these other human beings face to face and see that it's not all the way it's perceived to be in the media Mm -hmm. and I mean this was in the Middle East it wasn't just about Iraq this particular, this particular, this particular festival, so they call it a real festival, yeah. so they call it a festival, right? Mm-hmm. This this particular festival was based in Iraq. Eh? So we had four Iraqi poets. There was Awazan Nuri, Garib Iskander, um, Zahir Musa, and I'm going to forget the other person's name. Okay, we'll, we'll add that in later on. Uh. No, 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 like, just wait the number. Just just let this deed silence come in until I remember this person's name. Can I get that pen? Aye, of course Aye. You can talk amongst yourself oh, and just scribble this down. <laughs> Don't worry, we can edit this bit out. Well, you didn't edit it. Well, unless anybody in Rax Garib, Awazan, Zahir, and oh, female. 
I'm not going to know my Raki poets, no. Oh, come on. <laughs> Help me out, Chris. What you got? What you got? Area expertise. Come on. Don't look at me. Right, come on, right, come on. Right, come on. Uh, Right, anyway, we'll come back to that. Oh, right, okay. oh Jesus Christ. Right. Uh, it's, good, it's good though, because we should we should get the names in and we should get a link to whatever is online. Aye. If there's anything Sabrine, on. Sabrine Kadim. There we oh, go. Fantastic, yes. right. Well, Sorry, Sabrine, whatever you are out there in the ears. <laughs> well, it's good, yes, indeed, that we will link to the project, because it sounds a fascinating project. Aye, aye. Um, so how long were you over there? I think we were there for just over a week, I think. I just forgot, exactly. But a good enough time anyway. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, the obvious questions are language barriers. How did it work? Um, well, sometimes when I go down to England, they can't understand my poems. So it wasn't going to make much difference earlier anyway. But a lot of the people earlier could understand English anyway. But know? what I meant was, there, was, there, was there translation involved? Was there, I mean, in, and the other way around as well. Right. Was, Aye. So yeah. the main project for the poems was to translate their work into English and our work into either Kurdish or Arabic mm. so aye there was the translations were amazing like yeah. to sit obviously I can't speak Arabic and any other UK based boats or Scottish based boats mm. so I couldn't speak uh, Arabic either but we had a bridge translator in the centre uh, in between us and the other poet and we had a literal translation in front of us so we just had to sit concentrate on this block a literal translation is just like a a block of English that's been translated but it isn't a poem mm-hmm. it's just like a block of language you have to work to make it into a poem in English so we had the poet next to us bridge translator between us and we would just fire questions to the other poet through the bridge translator and, and just sitting with them like having this interaction I didn't even know th- 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 this guy I started off with grief so I didn't even know him mm-hmm. I just all I could see was this I was reading this poem and it's kind of like that didn't really make sense I didn't know that right, okay I'm going to start asking questions and then his personality started to come alive across right. the table and every single one that worked we got to work with all the different the four yeah. different poets and each one of them had a different personality but I got to look at their personality through the poem that they'd written and then see the poem come alive as well as we started to like like okay okay I'm getting it together now I'm getting the meaning I'm getting this and then you, once you could see the work start to like take shape it was beautiful it was yeah wow so I mean actually to work with the po- you know most translations I've done one person in the room with a book or whatever but that, that sounds fantastic mm-hmm. it was a dynamic way to do it aye. and I mean let's not kid ourselves right? it's still uh, as, as you say about media perceptions but the, the, one of the media perceptions is it's still like the safest place in the world I mean, how did you find it when you were we were in the north, right, right up in the north. Mm-hmm. So it's in Kurdistan. So it was, um, it's no as unsafe as, say, Baghdad. Yeah. Although they're still, they're still. I mean, I remember walking into a lift, in one of the hotels we were in, and thinking there was three guys in the lifts, the doors closed, and I was thinking, there's something strange here. I don't know what it is. I was like, oh my god. But then I realised there was one guy, and the other two guys were bodyguards. Do you know, and you could just feel the tension. Do you know, it's just like, uh, and that guy worked in, he worked in oil. Right. I met another couple of people that, that were there for the oil as well, and they were constantly working with my bodyguards. So there's still an element of danger. Yeah. But whether I was there, that's about as much as I've seen. Apart from that, it was fine. Okay. And uh, you were saying before we kicked off that your next trip, in fact, pretty much once we uh, leave here, uh, is going to India. Aye. So what's what's the story with that? And that isn't just for a week, that's for six months? Aye, for wow. six months. I know. <laughs> is it sinking yeah, in there? Right? No, I, I just booked my flights about three years ago. Do you know? Stand, maybe it's starting to sink it's in. Where, where, where I know. Yeah. Uh, You've so, been time for, uh, I don't know if you follow cricket at all, but it's Tendulkar's last couple of tests. Uh, well, anyway, I'm mm-hmm. a bit of cricket buff. Mm-hmm. If you don't follow it. But anyway, yeah, India's going to be rocking when you get there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
I've got, I've got funded by Creative Scotland to go there and research two two books actually. Oh, my okay. next collection of poetry and a collection of short stories. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. So great opportunity of a lifetime. Okay, so you land and where are you where are you going? I'm for? going to Kochi, which is in the south west. For a minute I thought you were going to say I'm going to go for six months and yeah. just get hammered. Oh, <laughs> no, so right. Aye, so it's Kochi, which is in Kerala. Right. So I start there and then work my way up north. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. So it's like a, almost like a kind of road trip through India and... Aye. So and, I've and got, they're funded, this is two books you're going to be doing? Aye, so research. So it's, it's, uh-huh. so it's to research two books. Yeah, sure, aye. sure, sure. Mm-hmm. But what's the, what's the... In your head, what are the differences between the two books? Well... I don't know because I'm going to have to go there and let what happens yeah, sure, affect okay, me. Right, okay, okay, but yeah. in my head, I mean, why isn't one book, for instance? Why, why is it, is it decided that it's going to be two? I think, I think I would like to write one of the books, probably the book of short stories. But obviously, uh-huh. the rules are my rules, and the rules until I choose to change them. Of course, right, aye, But um, I think I would like to write one of the books about Scotland while I'm in India, and write the other book about India while I'm in India. Yeah. No, about India hasn't. Religion, its culture, its yeah, history, that's yeah. far too much. I can kind of yeah, tap into that, yeah, but I can, like, I can sit behind my own eyes and, and yeah. write what happens there. But, um, so, write one book about Scotland, because being away from somewhere, sometimes it's nice, it's a good filter for what's happening. So, write one book about Scotland, probably the short stories, and then the poetry of what happens as I'm travelling through India, and then see what happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, that sounds like it's going to be a hell of an adventure. When you come back, you've got to come and do another one of these, because we're going to uh, I'd love to. see yeah. hear what happens from there. Um, well, when we come back, uh, we're going to talk to Chris, who's been sitting there quiet, annoyed that we didn't call him Christopher to begin with. Annoyed is a very strong word. <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk just about poetry in general, influences and things like that. But if you'd be so kind, Billy, to end this bit with another one of your poems, that'd be tremendous. This is called We All Have Burdens. I know a man whose burden is a beautiful brown cello. He carries the instrument in a cumbersome white case. The case is dented and scratched and has seen sunsets from Santiago to Berlin. The man that carries the case frowns at every hill. He grumbles as he shoulders his way through busy streets. He secretly envies the flautists. But the case carrier and the musician are not the same. They are separate in one body. One translates the great composers through memories of childhood. The other swears into his own sink. They both remember a visiting cellist that asked their class to raise a hand. The hand was measured. The musician says it was to test the strength of his fingers. The case carrier will tell you that the cellist never looked him in the eye. Well, we're back for the second half of our podcast with uh, Billy Lightford and Chris Ward. And we're going to talk, I want to open it up a little bit and talk about a... kind of our early um, experiences of poetry and, and how we've uh, interacted with it throughout our lives. Um, Chris, first of all, what are your kind of early memories? I mean, Billy talked about uh, 
um, Alice in Wonderland and the kind of a nonsense poetry in that but uh, what about yourself? I suppose it was something similar I mean I've always been words have like always been my thing like mm-hmm. from a young age like I could I was reading before I went to school and I like like was pretty decent all around the school but like English was always my subject and stuff and I was always just kind of fascinated with like people playing about with words you know mm-hmm. uh, like always like you know a lot of people like sneer at puns and stuff but I was always fascinated just by like kind of people doing other things like elastic things with language seeing mm-hmm. what kind of forms they could bend it into seeing like kind of what kind of rules they could break with it and how they could kind of twist it into you know something clever the every, something clever yeah. yeah like show offs showing off with language you know I was going to say I've yeah. known you for many years your love of puns doesn't surprise me but there yeah, you go yeah. and then like when you know getting older and like um, like starting getting into music and stuff it was always the kind of the guys who were good with words that like I found the, the strongest attachment to you know it was, it was Dylan it was Morrissey it was Stuart Murdoch it was Aidan Moffat it was you know and then moving beyond that into like hip hop and stuff as well um, so it's always been for me like about kind of the you know the potential for language like the, the playfulness with it and mm-hmm. uh, what can be done with that like when I was a kid it was always like Spike Milligan I loved yeah. you know like I had a couple of books of like his stuff for children and beyond that even just like the stuff that really made me laugh was like it wasn't even like contemporary stuff necessarily it was like my dad got me into like the Marx Brothers and like Monty Python and stuff and it was the same kind of thing it was just doing really stupid things like double entendres and mm. and like playing about with what words could mean I think that's what, what poetry does really well is like as Billy was saying it's like it's this kind of it's cutting out all the stuff you don't need and just giving you like the meat of like what you need for the meaning you know mm-hmm. is uh so when it's humour it's like right get rid of all the unnecessary exposition just get to the joke you know yeah. it's, you know when it's something more kind of profound or whatever it's something that you can't really get to with you know with a full sentence necessarily you know it's just this, like a kind of fleeting moment or whatever I mean you see like you see it in film movies all the time somebody's described as poetic and it's usually it's weird because that's usually when they cut out language altogether it's usually someone like Terence Malick where it's something like you know, just like really beautiful montages yeah. and nature and stuff, and it's like it's trying to express something beyond what language can usually do. Uh, a couple of interesting things that come up from that. I think you're right. The idea that what poetry does is kind of, as we say, get to the 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 nub of the matter like that, and perhaps more than any other art form, if you like to call it, um, it does. When you read a great poem, it it, it doesn't have any of the the extra stuff there's no um, a, I suppose it's, it's the leanest kind of form of what you're doing and that's what you were saying earlier on about you know cutting down your short stories and getting to that um, I mean how do you view it as, as a kind of as a, as a form of writing um, I think it can affect you so sharply it's like mm-hmm. in such a succinct manner that it's like it takes the top of your head off sometimes yeah. if you get yeah. it exactly. what I like about it is that the poet writes the poem whoever the poet is mm-hmm. but the person that's reading it has to sometimes work to meet whatever the meaning is whatever the language is halfway yeah. so all the, all my favourite poems it's almost like I own them mm-hmm. because I worked to get it do you know when I go I was like yes yeah. I own these poems these are, these are my poems and I love reading novels but I don't get that same sense of ownership, that same sense of that I've came yeah. to meet it and I've got, actually opened it up and I've got something to it. 
the same. Although I love reading novels, but that's what I think. So it's almost like uh, with novels, you're 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 watching someone else's work, but with Potty, you're involved in it. Ah. You're actually mm-hmm. there's there's a there's more of a, a interaction going on. It's mm-hmm. interesting. You see it take the top of your head. I was just thinking before we, you arrived. Um, there's a Ted Hughes poem in Birthday Letters called Fulbright Scholars, and I remember buying the book and reading it. And by the end of it, find myself in tears. And I didn't quite know why, but it was just right. something about, and I couldn't probably go back and tell you why now, but I think you're, you're right, it kind of hits you unexpectedly sometimes mm-hmm. because there's a simplicity, apparent simplicity, but actually it's more complex than really anything you would do. Chris mentioned a lot of musicians there, and it made me wonder why not music for you, why you didn't. You know, decide to like uh, write lyrics or anything like that. While it was poetry, was that never really an option? No, I, I I've written one song actually. I can play two songs on the guitar. Right. Aye, and uh, I've written one song, but it never took me the same as poetry did. Mm-hmm. I just I, I wish I could explain why, filter through all the things that happened, and tell you exactly why. But I can't tell you exactly why. Like, I did pick up the guitar that, and I was writing songs, but I never, I just never captured yeah, them. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I think that kind of is proof of any was needed that you know you've got a calling for something when you think because you know some people say I'm going to be in a band because I want to be famous not many people say they want to be a poet because I want to be a famous <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's rolling the um, so I mean what about you, you know you talked about uh, Lewis uh, Carroll what mm-hmm. other kind of early memories of, of, of poetry what, did you, or did you kind of put it aside for a long time and, and not really I put it aside for, for a, a really long time I, I kind of remembered some Milford Owen poems that we wrote when we were at high school. Yeah. Um, but apart from that, nothing. And then I started to read poetry. I started to read, uh, like Philip Larkin and T. S. Eliot when I first died. Yeah. I just didn't get it at first. Yeah. I just didn't get. It. I was just like, I don't know. I was at the time I started to write poems about how mm-hmm. I couldn't get poetry. Yeah. Kind of these angry things. Yeah. But um, and then I uh, I went to a reading and saw Tom Leonard. Then you see, I know. Uh, a lot of people say that, but you have to stumble across a voice that you recognise, and then you have to say, "Wait a minute, my voice is relevant. I can. My voice is just as relevant as anybody else's." And then so there's Tom Leonard, the James Kelman, Liz Lockhead, got all these. I know, I know these are kind of like names that everybody knows, but it was the way yeah, I but their it. names I've written down as well to talk right. about. So there's a reason for that. Once I realised that was it, and I, I realised I could access them, I started to approach all the rest of the poets from mm-hmm. different areas, and then recognise their voice and their work in a different mm. way it's funny because I've written down here um, you know uh, I remember when I was about 15 going to see Carol McDougall it was his short stories it was Elvis is Dead but it was that idea of the voice that you recognise mm-hmm. and you go oh it does, it's not just about it's not just by other people it can be about folk like me mm-hmm. and then reading Bus Conductor Hines when I was 16 and then and the one that really you know as you say knocked me sideways was finding a copy of Tom Leonard's Intimate Voices in a the book Caledonia Books in the, in the West End and I remember going to it's now called something else but it was the Rock Garden pub at the time and sitting and reading the whole thing through and just you know jaw dropping going wow you know unrelated incidents six o'clock Aye. news you know built up you know mm-hmm. as the beginning to a poem you know like, I've never seen anything like this and that genuinely changed my idea of what a po- poem could be and, and who could write it mm-hmm. Um, but look, school's an interesting time because uh, I mean, well, when Chris, what what kind of stuff were you being given um, at school? I think by the time I was in high school, like, a lot of the curriculum had begun to be focused towards Scottish stuff. When you were doing your hires and your mm-hmm. standard grades, so I luckily got like you know Edwin Morgan, Norman McKay, Ian Crichton Smith, 
um, like we did. But again, it wasn't necessarily the stuff that I'd go on to love from them. When we did McCaig, we did uh, visit an hour in quite close detail, which is you know really bleak and doesn't really give you a full sense of like. I mean, McCaig's still like one of my absolute favorite. I mean, I know he's a really popular choice, and it's kind of an obvious one to say, but there's a reason for it. You know, McCaig's just one of the best poets Scotland ever produced, and there's such a kind of sense of joy and a, a viciousness and just, you know, like a playfulness again to, to a lot of his writing that didn't necessarily come through in Visit Now because, you know, his bleak is about visiting his dying yeah. mother in hospital and it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's still an incredible poem but it's the kind of thing that could easily turn off like a 15 year old, yeah. you know, and I, I think a lot of it that we studied kind of lived up to a lot of people's maybe preconceived notions of poetry you know it was quite bleak it was quite difficult like even the Ian Crichton Smith one we did was uh, You Lived in Glasgow which again is about his, his dead mother you know there's a lot, <laughs> lot, lot, lot of dead yeah, and dying mothers yeah in, in the poems we had in high school um, so yeah it was that kind of stuff uh, again it was coming to um, you know coming to do Scottish literature at uni and stuff and, and just being exposed to the whole range of, of everything um, and I think it's interesting talking about like all the, the poets like you know like recognising your own voice and stuff I think it's po- something that poetry can do that like maybe even novels can't is like claim a place in like the heart of the wider populace I mean my gran uh, I never really knew her to read at all mm-hmm. like in like the last 25 years of her life she never well, I think there was maybe like one year in the past like in the last decade of her life I think where she maybe went through a wee phase of reading mm-hmm. but again it was your cliched kind of like old lady stuff you know quite quite gentle romances maybe some like maybe Michael Parkinson's autobiography or something like this you know but and it was only in retrospect that this seemed weird to me but we went to when I was 10 we went to like a, a benefit show for Wildcat the theatre company yeah, yeah, yeah. Things, because it was the kind of thing where like it was just around a bit of time that they'd revived the, the big panda with the kings and like Jared Kelly and Elaine C. Smith were doing it every year and it was you know and I think they were both participating in the benefit and a load of other kind of like Scottish theatre and you know mm-hmm. showbiz luminaries and stuff you know I'm sure Johnny Beatty was collecting funds on the door and stuff uh, but Liz Lockett was reading at it and uh, my grand newer and really liked her and it was only in retrospect I realised what a kind of strange but great thing that was you know what I mean like Liz Lockett who had, had got through to my grand who never read anything mm. you know but she still knew who Liz Lockett was and knew enough of her to know that she liked her and was like glad that she was on the bill alongside all these other people that you would expect her to know you know just I think going by her own usual interests there is something um, about the best poetry that tells you something about where you're from and, and the, your surroundings and um, and that's why you know you, you, you spoke about the uh, McKeague and, and people like that and these are great poets but the ones that always speak to me most are Lockhead Morgan Leonard um, because that's you know it's Glasgow to me and uh, and and they, they they say the things that I think but could never say in that way and I think that's why people maybe relate to I mean your gun would perhaps be a great example um, there's a great a uh, Lockhead poem where she talks about putting on her mother's shoes when she's a child and I remember my mum reading that and going that to me is a memory which I didn't think anyone else had but there you are and it, there is something that stirs emotions um, what about when you were at school what's your experience of, of poetry was it something that you were like oh god I've got a poetry thing to read <clears throat> I didn't think I was like oh god I quite liked English but my head wasn't in the right place when I was at high school mm. do you know yeah. Aye, so it's like uh, 
I got asked to leave higher English. Right. I was just because, well, it was main fault, I was never there, do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, I, and then I got asked to leave and made to take module English instead. So, but my head was in a night place when I was in high school. It would come later, but some people would take a, a while to get themselves together. No, I, might, I, 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 today, I was, I was you know? very similar, yeah, yeah, yeah. Aye, so I still like, I was still reading all the time, all the time. Yeah. I went to the library, get loads of books, constantly reading, but I just wasn't wanting to put the time in when I was in the class. Yeah, it was almost, I, I, my experience was anything that I was being told to read, well, that, that, that can't be any use because I was being told to read it, so I was reading, Aye. I don't know, a James Dean autobiography or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, still read, still reading a lot. But I said I'm going to choose what I'm going to read. Aye. And it's, uh, it, I mean, when you were doing it, you know, you were talking about doing difficult poems at school. What was what was your feeling of doing them then? Where you think, well, this is a chore or this is not school? In, so it not be. initially, but then again, as I say, like English was always kind of my subject. Anyway, you know, I liked English and mm-hmm. I liked poems and I liked novels and stuff and a lot, a lot of people would really kind of like roll their eyes and not be into it right from mm-hmm. the get go. I think what would maybe get bring me round to that kind of point of view is the fact that we would just pick a point of pieces over a period of weeks you know it was that mm-hmm. kind of way where you just you don't just like let it kind of settle and then come to your own thing it was that way you know, because it's everything's so kind of geared towards exams now it's like no we have to break down every single word of this so you know exactly what it means yeah. and you have to pull it apart and you have to be able to write essays on it and you have to approach it from all these different angles instead of just letting people kind of come to their own conclusions on it and react it in their own way I think that's what kind of would wear me down yeah. studying poetry in English um, rather than the poems themselves, you know. And what you were saying earlier about, you know, having to do short stories for your masters and think, oh, I've got to get a short story. You know, that kind of, well, I've got to break this down. So I, mean, I remember doing Morgan at, at school uh, in the snack bar and thinking trio, which are two, for me, great poems, but just kind of going, oh, God, I've got to get... It was that kind of, you know, it just wasn't the right time, as you say. Uh, it just wasn't the right time for me to, to kind of to deal seriously with with what was being said, and I think you have to take. You know, you were saying about uh, the readers got to do work if they want to truly get the most out of it. They've got mm-hmm. to do work as well, and you have to kind of take it seriously. I, I think that was definitely the case. Like when I, I took English to advanced higher and um, had just like the best teacher I've ever had for that can make a big difference as well. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Charlie McGurk. I mean, on the off chance that he might ever hear this, I mean, God bless you. So, you know, he's a <laughs> a total like hero but he's um he did the Canterbury Tales with us and he was a total Chaucerian about writing it the full the proper Chaucerian language no translations they'd have no truck with translations right and got right in it really like with gusto was delivering it and um again you had to put in the work because it was totally alien it was like, it was. like 17 year old kids from the south side of Glasgow being confronted with you know I can ask that was and that are worth it man you know and, and all this you obviously remember it yeah, well yeah exactly when I thought with the sure sort of the daughter mouse had passed to the daughter and all that kind of stuff and you like you looked at it on the page and even hearing him say you know I think we started off the way our kind of timetable we'd work in school we'd have our first month of classes for the new year before the summer like mm. when we came back from exams like at the end of our fifth year exams we'd come back and do a month of sixth year and then it'd be the summer holidays and I think before the summer we had maybe 14-15 people in our advanced higher English class and he brought out the Canterbury Tales and by the time he was done with us there were seven yeah it's almost like a yeah. tester of it, was, it felt like he was testing the water you know mm. it was like you're going to have to put in the work for this but you're going to feel the benefit of it at the other end and it was like that you know the, the entire year and I think that's probably that was really a year that kind of set me up for going to uni I think and really kind of you know it was like a, a kind of a I'm trying to think of a non-wanky way of putting it like a kind of a, you know a reawakening or something mm. you know after kind of being 
worn down with all you know just preparing for exams well, that, and stuff that was that was the the book. way that the, 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 the Leonard book kept me was that it wasn't something that I was being made to read I'd chosen to go and read it and I only read it because I'd read Busking Dr Hines and did a little bit of background at Kelman and he was part of this group that Leonard was part of well, I'm going to pick this up and you know you're like wow this is for me this is I'm not being told to read this this is for me um, influences on yourself who, 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 who kind of influences you in that way I like there's a poet that I really like called Jack Gilbert right have you heard of Jack Gilbert mm, the name rings a bell do you know it's like not many people know about him but it's quite a lyrical poet so he like, writes about stuff that happens to him and in a kind of really serious way so I, I think he doesn't write any poems that are humorous right. that he makes that decision but he's quite a serious poet but he's, he's Poems are really, really good. Gets right to the heart of what's happening, and doesn't he make himself look beautiful? If you know what I mean, in his poetry. Right. So if whatever he's done, even if it's a mistake, he'll get right to the heart of it. Okay. But just open himself. So up it's a kind of honour. You mean in terms of subject matter and what he talks Aye. about? Yeah. Every poem's a fiction. Yeah, so, yeah. But it gets to the heart of something anyway. Ah, so yeah. they're all fictions. They're all things that he's made up. He's maybe maybe the kernel of it's true, but mm. whatever it happens, he opens himself up for it and he allows himself to be the subject. He's in poetry. I quite like that. Yeah. Jack Gilbert, I'll have to check that out. Um, and t- I mean, you're talking, going back to somebody like Tom Leonard now, you know, uh, can you see that there are, there are poets that uh, made, a, made a difference for how, I don't know, what, what, how am I trying to say this? I, I, it'd be interesting for me to, to see someone like yourself doing what you do without someone like Tom Leonard having come first, do you know what I mean by that? I think uh, I mean probably I'm, I'm oversimplifying that there would have been someone else or something else but uh, well I, maybe maybe you never know maybe yeah. there would have been something else but the path made, was made much easier mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. by these people being there yeah they had already beat a wee path through the, br- the, the brush and yeah. I was just you know I started to go down that same path yeah. as them so like I guess what I wanted to ask is to talk about is language and, and how um, you know, you your your poems are in um, Scots. You know, your own Scots, uh, and you were talking about you know maybe even doing readings in England and not being understood of it. But are you, nowadays, is there a, is do you think there is still a barrier to doing that? We were talking talking to uh, James Robertson recently, and he was saying that the feedback he gets from his books when they're being. Um, optioned overseas is could you take out some of the Scots because that's going to make it more difficult for us to do that I mean you know how, how, how do you feel about using you know okay, I, can, I, can, I'm, I would never apologise for it no no I don't Scottish. think I, you know, absolutely. I'm Scottish I know what I'm saying you're just saying that I should apologise no. that's not what you're meaning but it's, I think for poetry people who like poetry even if, if I go down to England and they don't understand the poetry I think for most poetry audiences just accept that that's yeah. fine so they, they don't they don't ever say oh god he's speaking in Scottish they're, they're, they're really given that way do you know it's in Scottish we'll, yeah. we'll listen to the sounds if they didn't understand it it's fine but I think especially with, with these people being successful Tom Leonard James Kelman getting the Booker Prize mm-hmm. Liz Lockhead now being the National Poet of Scotland mm-hmm. the language that they've opened up means that that Scottish language is beautiful and relevant and powerful yeah so now it's open for everybody you can see that it's beautiful mm-hmm. and relevant and powerful and to have that gives you empowerment as well it gives you whatever you know the, the noises that you hear when you're in your kitchen yeah. when, you're, when you're 
granddad and your mm. dad's playing darts and drinking tea mm. and all the noises and the sounds that happen do you can see that they can be made to be gorgeous no, it goes back to something that we talked about right at the very beginning was uh, about hearing uh, a, a poem or a, or a writer or anything in a, a language which you understand which I know is not you understand but you recognise as your own and it's something obviously that, that's right for the middle of folk like Leonard and Kelman um, I think now you're right it's not the deal but I guess that was the point I was making is it's not the deal that it used to be and folk can write in Scots and speak in Scots and there isn't the let's face it for, for folk and my, my parents say it's a kind of embarrassment of doing it as if somehow it's, it's, it's incorrect and the more mm. that that's shown in any kind of art form whether it's singing whether it's poetry whether it's in novels um, it, can only, it can only be a good thing for folk uh, I mean, we used to, you know, you used to talk about a cultural cringe, and that seems to hopefully seems to be kind of dissipating. Aye, every every word is a sound, and every all languages are sounds, and so all languages are on the exact same level. It's, it's all as relevant yeah. to each other. So it doesn't matter if it's if it's received pronunciation or if it's what you're hearing when you're working on the roofs. They're all just sounds, and each sound has a meaning, and each sound has a slightly different meaning as well. So all words. Should yeah. have the exact same place and to be able to access those different sounds. If you think of any one word that can be said as many ways as you want to say it, and every mm-hmm. time it will have something different. Aye, and all the sounds should be out there. You should be able to access them all. Yeah, because I mean, for a long time it was the case that you know the sound, if you like, of of, of uh, Scots was uh, was to be kind of you know kept in the playground yeah. and mm-hmm. never never in the classroom and never yeah. in the university corridors and mm-hmm. uh, I mean it does seem to be it, it really does seem to be changing and I think um, you know folk like yourself and, uh, uh, can only push that on contemporaries of yours at the moment I think there's a really healthy poetry scene at the moment you know you've got you know, Ryan Van Winkle Don Patterson Kevin McNeil mm-hmm. just, uh, Jen Hanfield just to talk a few but yeah, you know you're doing shows with these people what's your uh, feeling about it I, I think there's a vibrancy right now in, in Scotland, I think it's there's something happening. Now. Mm-hmm. I think even you make just there's just so many great poets. I don't maybe it's just because I'm maybe I'm being unfair because I'm around the boot them all the time. But I go to loads of readings and yeah. I hear I hear loads of stuff. I just think there is a flower in it as well, and there's a lot of interest in poetry now. There's a lot of spoken word nights if you want to call them that. It's been mixed with music. Some of them have animations at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, and loads of people have gone to them. Whenever I've gone to them, there's people there. Maybe that's because. The pockets are tight and they don't want to pay £7.50 to go to the view. I don't know. But <laughs> but there, there's a lot happening and people are interested in it. Yeah. And I'm, en- I'm enjoying that. I think, you know, sometimes you do, I mean, I'm the same, you wonder, is, am I saying there's lots of great Scottish writers out there because I'm in the middle of it and reading mm-hmm. them and, and you think, well, but surely, you know, if they are there, then other people are going to be interested in that as well. You know, mm-hmm. you, just going back to what you're saying about your grand seeing Liz Lockhead and, and, and having some kind of connection with that. I believe there's something going on nearly every night in every city, and and uh, that that someone can do that, and that some there is something out there to get, you know, whether it, that can change like the book of Tom Leonard poetry can change people's lives, um, and what also interests me is you're getting a full range of. Basically, the 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 more diverse poetry you get, the better idea of what your country is, if you like, and who you are and where you are and all those things. And you know whether it's collections from Shetlands to you know the borders and from east coast to west coast. It just there seems to be a bigger picture uh, arriving, you know, coming out at the moment through 
the um, the poetry that's been written and read. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't wait to hear what you write about Scotland when you're outside of Scotland because I think that has an interesting, you know, uh, dynamic as well. Aye, I'm looking forward to that. I've no idea what's going to happen. Yeah. So, uh, uh, but I'm looking forward to to just going and trying it out. Do you know what? Yeah, yeah. Going on an adventure, I like an adventure that hasn't going to see where, where, where it can take me. Uh, just, I mean, I'm not going to uh, go hugely political here, but the idea of, of writing um, about um, a political situation, obviously, uh, you know, the referendum next year, is that something which interests you or um, is it something which you kind of feel, well, I, I'm not, not that you're not bothered about, but just something that it's not going to be, because I'm guessing if you've been away for six months, you're gonna miss a lot of that. <laughs> aye, aye. Well, I'm really, I, I love the fact that it's happening. Yeah. I, I love just the debate and mm. the, all the questions that are coming up. I didn't really want to explore it in my writing. Though. Yeah. I didn't want to stand on a soapbox. No, no, no. I'm not it. saying that. No, no. I, I know. I know. Uh, I'm just yeah. getting out of there. I'm yeah, not sure, that sure. Funny. But um, it's not really what I want to do. I wouldn't imagine that while I was away, I was going to write anything about that. But mm-hmm. you never know what happens. Yeah. These things can creep in. Yeah. I, think, I guess maybe in a, in a in a wider sense, it would be interesting for me to see how uh, um, poets and writers and, and musicians and any artist is going to, you know, are they going to deal with this kind of situation? Are they going to deal with How are they going to deal with the political situation? And will it be, you know, top thumping and, 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 and soapbox and will it be something that's a bit more interested and, and, and artistic? I don't know, time will tell, we'll see. Um, we always finish these podcasts with five questions for our guests. So... And uh, you can answer them any way you like, and you can take as long as you like, because we can be here for a while. Um, but it's starting off, let's talk about your favourite poet, your own favourite. Oh, I'm going to have to say... You can have more than at one. At the moment, I'm yeah. going to say Jack Gilbert. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's definitely something we will have to check out, and we'll, we'll kind of link onto his stuff when we become to post on this. Um, you said that you, know, you also read a lot of novels, so favourite novel? Oh, that's a hard one. Right. That is, that's a hard one. The favourite novel, right? Okay, I'm just gonna say, I loved a chancer yes. by James Kilman. Yeah, fantastic. I loved it. One of the one of the images that stays with me is I'm putting the doubts in the sink. Aye. Do you know? I think about that all the time. Just <laughs> just an occasional week, I think about putting doubts in the, in the sink. Aye. I love that book. Yeah, fantastic. I think that that period when Karen was writing those, I just you know, there was no mm-hmm. nobody could really touch him. Um, film. I don't know if you're a film man, but I I like films. I'm going to say Young Frankenstein. Oh, good choice. Mm-hmm. Fantastic choice. Yeah, ain't got nobody. <laughs> um, and the music band. I mean, what kind of who, who would you take to your desert island if you like? Oh. My favourite band. Yes. Right, okay. We were in Iraq, right? Uh-huh. And we turned up. We, t- we turned up to do uh, a reading in a cave that was in a theme park. And there was a band sitting there, right? There was a guy in a piano. Already, this is the most interesting uh, answer to this. <laughs> there was a guy in a piano. There was a. I think there was a guy. There was a guy with a violin or a fiddle, I think. And there was a guy with a clarinet. And I arrived there and thought, Christ, it's going to be cabaret. Brilliant. There was like. Arabic poets and British poets, it was the British Council event. So when I got up, then I went to do music, I got up and did some music, great. But the band was going to play while the people were reading, but I didn't know that, and I knew that. So 
Adam Foles got up, right? And normally when the Arabic poets get up, they're doing like these long, beautiful, like ornate poems and they play Arabic music behind it. Adam Foles got up. The band must have thought, we better be hospitable, so we'll play Western music. So Adam Foles got up. First word that he said, keyboards started kicked in. Ah. Adam Foles shat himself, you know? He's like, oh, what's going on? But then it just like, just composed himself, kept on reading his, his, his I think it's his novel actually, about John Clare. And then, uh, then the music's kept on going so we were all sitting there we had a wee laugh at that <laughs> how funny and then we started to hear the music and I started to I recognise that song and then I realised that's fucking Lionel Richie hello <laughs> so I went hello is it me you're looking for and I said <laughs> and he could he could hear you could see Adam Foles ticking air thinking that's Lionel Richie hello <laughs> well I'm trying to read this story so that went then Arabic Poet came up and did it. They played Arabic music. It was lovely. And then John Glennie got up and he got the theme tune for Titanic. What's the What's the name of that song again? My heart will go on. My oh, <laughs> see, he was genius putting as my heart will go on. That is the best band that I've ever seen. Oh, we need to get them out here, man. Fantastic. That's fantastic. I love the thing like Western music. What are we going to do? <laughs> Lionel and Celine. Mm. Fantastic. Okay, and finally, um, I, 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 I'm tempted to say that might be the same. This might be the same answer, but the kind of event which change your life the thing that you think yeah that's why I kind of do what I do the event that changed my life Aye. I have to say that there were two events that, that was basically at the same time when I was doing the things for the Nautical College I seen Bernard McLaughlin read yeah. um, at one of the events and Tom Leonard did at an event the two of them together seeing yeah. them both get up there at an early stage where I was wanting to get into writing and I wanted to get up and start performing stuff was great so seeing the two of them it was amazing and street level art gallery which is at Trongate yeah yeah that was before it moved the other two that I would say oh fantastic in my mind um, two, two of the best definitely do you know what I can I just as a yes. side issue I, I was reading it the one with Bertram McClaffitt was and it was a story that I had memorised and so I was in the first half so I got, did the story that I memorised and uh, in half time he hadn't read it he was in the second half and he came up to me and he uh, and say to me, oh, do you memorise that story off by heart? I've never really seen that before, that was really good. Okay, good. Aye. And then I was sitting down watching him read, and when he finished reading, after he finished reading his book, he was reading his stuff, and it's amazing for his book. Yeah. Before he even came right off the stage, he came up and walked up to him, bent my mouth and said, you know, I think he has memorised them, and then walked away. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> but it sticks to my mind. Aye, that was good, man. That was good. That was good. Well, Bill, thanks so much for coming doing this. That's been brilliant. And thank you, Chris. No bother. Coming along, and uh, we will be back uh, very soon. I think with our talk, we'll round, I think if Chris is free, we're going to do a roundup of everything from the year. So uh, that'll be with you next. But in the meantime, thanks very much. Cheers. Mm-hmm.